You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. I'm a cloud-native DevOps course creator, consultant, and manager of this growing community on cloud-native DevOps. This podcast is an edited-down, audio-only version of my YouTube live show, which airs on Thursdays at brett.live. This podcast and all the free stuff I create is made possible by my supporting members. Thank you all so much for your continued patronage. There are well over 100 of you buying me a coffee every month, which makes that just 1% of the people that read, watch, or listen to this content every month. I'm hoping we can double that to 2% this year. And as they say, membership has its privileges. So you can find out how to support this show, my cloud native training, and our DevOps community at brettfisher.com. In this episode, Matt Williams and I welcome Brent Baudet and Dan Walsh from Red Hat to talk about the latest with Podman, Podman Desktop, Podman Machine, and now Quadlet. Dan Walsh, a senior distinguished engineer at Red Hat, has been working with containers since the beginning. He's a contributor to Docker, Project Atomic, SE Linux, and a lot more. He literally wrote the book on Podman, which there's a link for in the show notes. Brent Baudet is a senior principal software engineer at Red Hat and an architect and a primary maintainer of Podman and contributes to many of its associated technologies like Cryo, Builda, and Scopio. We go through a lot of tooling in this episode because Red Hat has taken a different stance than Docker in how it delivers its container tooling. You might say they take the approach of the Unix philosophy of every program does one thing well. Most of us know Docker and how it bundles many things related to containers into a single command line and daemon, yet some would prefer to isolate pieces of container management functionality into discrete, smaller programs. One for building images, one for running containers, one for communicating with registries, one for adding a GUI to your container manager, and one for managing the container VM. That's just sort of how I would break down the Podman ecosystem and while that may seem like a lot of things, it's basically what Docker does for you in a single tool, yet the isolation of these tools is what can make them purpose fit when you only need a fraction of the functionality of Docker. For example, one of Podman's core tenants is that it tells System D to run your pods, which is the initialization process on most Linux distributions. In this way, your containers become more like standard system processes rather than the Docker way of running all containers under the Docker daemon process itself. Now, many of us have heard of the other two original Red Hat container projects, Scopio and Builda, but there's now an increasing number of things the Podman ecosystem can do. So I'm grateful to Dan and Brent for coming on to break down the new parts of this toolkit and how we might use them. On with the show. Hello, and welcome to the show. I'm excited to have here today with me a packed house again. So let's go around the room. You've seen my co-host on the show before, Matt Williams. He's been here regularly. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. And then Brent Baudet. He is from the, what, you're, you're east, no, wait, where, I already forgot where you were from. East Coast? Northern Minnesota. 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 It's Minnesota, right. I was getting that in Maine mixed up. And then we got catty corner to that, Dan Walsh, both from Red Hat. Welcome for being here. Thank you so much. I'm a little bit nervous today, I think, because we don't have enough shows about Red Hat tooling, and this is like the start of me fixing that. We get questions all the time. I mean, all the time. It's probably every other show that there's not a question about Podman. I learned about Podman Desktop from other people in the chat asking me about it on the show, and I was like, I didn't know it was a thing. So 
I immediately had to download it and check it out. And then we talked about it for months on this show with no proper representation. So thank you both for being here. By the way, these are two pros and they write books. There's links below. They write blog posts. They do all the things Podman. So we're, we definitely have the experts here. Dan, you have a long history with containers. I just wanted to start out by spending a moment on that. How did you get started in the very early days? Well, I've been a Red Hat for coming up in August. I'll be here 22 years. When I started at Red Hat, I've been known as a security engineer. And when I came to Red Hat, I started working on a little project called SE Linux, which I'm sure everybody's heard of at least. And SE Linux was all about basically controlling groups of processes on a Linux system. Eventually, that as I continue to work on that and look at different ways of handling it, we started seeing other parts of the operating systems that developed. SE Linux came around and 2003 timeframe, about 2005 timeframe, we wanted to add a new feature to, to SE Linux called CAM namespace. And it was the first namespace that was used in Linux. And that was actually added in order to handle this thing called MLS multi-level security, which was all about controlling and top secret environments that a person could log into a system and only see his top secret files. But if you logged in at secret, he'd only see his secret files. So it was basically changing the worldview. Over time, I developed a thing called the Sandbox, which came out around 2008. And that was allowing us to take your home directory and divide it out so you could run, say, different web browsers and get access to. Basically, my idea was that you'd have a web browser that could only see the internet and one that could only see the internet and sort of dividing out your environments. And we called it the messy Linux Sandbox at the time. And it took was using namespaces along with SE Linux for security separation and actually started using C groups for process isolation. Roll that forward a couple of years, we started the OpenShift project, which was basically taking a web browser, inviting people to give us an email address and you get an account. And our goal was to allow them to build rel content on it. And we were using things like, you know, we had a million users of, I think of the height just logging into a time-sharing type system on the, in the cloud. And we had to make sure that different users didn't interfere with each other. So we were using namespaces and C groups and other technologies. I started working on a thing called Vert Sandbox, which would divide your operating system into containerized environments, but we were sharing slash user between multiple, you know, so you could have say 50 website services all running off of slash user and then having their own slash Etsy and slash var. And we were looking at that as being the next generation of OpenShift. And then suddenly this little company came along that you might have heard of called Darker. And it sort of changed everything the way we were looking at the operating system on its head. And that we thought people would want to have one operating system shared between hundreds of containers. And Docker figured out that they want people wanted to have hundreds of different containers all shared on the same, different images all shared on the same environment. So we retrofitted OpenShift at that point to start working with Docker. And when RHEL 7 shipped back in 2013, the one of the first people on stage with at the Red Hat Summit was members of the Docker team. And we were showing that RHEL supported Docker. Over time, we started to look at Docker and look at the way that it worked. And we decided to start looking at potentially alternatives. Me being from a security point of view, I wanted to look at, you know, could we do what Docker did in a more secure manner? And that kicked off efforts into um, a new tool chain. Originally, it was to support Kubernetes. 
So we kicked off the cryo project, and which led to Docker splitting off Containerd and basically setting up daemons that were dedicated to Kubernetes. And eventually we worked out other toolings that you might have heard of called Scopio and Builder, which is a building ability to build container images. And then eventually that led to the Podman effort, which was originally was to mimic the Docker CLI command line interface, but do it with a fork exec model as opposed to a client server model. And the big thing that originally people got into trust in Podman is because it, it started out as rootless, whereas Docker was rootful. Over time, Docker is now supports rootless, although almost no one runs it that way. But Podman, out of the box, almost everybody runs it rootless, and, or at least at the entry point. And eventually, we support both rootless and rootful. And we've continued to evolve it, looking at it. One thing I skipped in this is the real key factor that happened was OCI got created during this time frame, the Open Container Initiative which allowed us to standardize, to work with Docker, to standardize the image format the set of container registries, as well as the way that you run containers on the system, the OCI runtime specification. And that, you know, that led to C run and run C, which are OCI runtimes. So Docker and Podman and all these other container engines that have evolved over the last 10 years all support the same images. So everything at Docker IO, everything that Quaid IO and all the other myriad of registries all have a standardized format that all the container engines in the world can run. And then we all can start to look at different workloads, different ways of running containers on the box. So that was a pretty quick introduction, but yeah. That is a the fastest description of the last 10 years <laughs> that I've heard on this show. It's pretty good. Thank you for that. The, there's Podman's not new. Years. That's 20 years. Yeah. Well, that's true. That's true. How I don't even know when I first learned about SE Linux. I got my... Well, not my start, but back in the 90s, we were all in Solaris, we had zones. So the story that I'd love to tell about is how, you know, all the different ideas around containers before what we now consider modern containers. And sometimes when I describe that, I have to say modern containers when we talk about the Docker project. And today we've got all this tool, all these toolings, and there's all these options now. We talk about, we talk about the difference between Docker CLI and Docker Desktop, Docker Engine. We talk about rancher desktop for a lot of developers because a lot of people's first experience are all these local tools on their machine. And for me, I remember going back a long time ago, when I first got started with Podman, I had to set up my own VM for it. And I was, a lot of times at first, because we're all new to Podman, we all wanted to sort of enable that Docker-like experience where we had the same, basically it replaced the Docker command. And I don't actually know this. So what like if I'm on a Mac or Windows today, like what is the recommended way for me to get Podman and to use that yes. on those machines? Uh, I'm gonna let Brent answer that since he's worked on mainly on that technologies. But the if Podman's been around for six, or, I, I probably should know this exactly. It's like six or seven years now, and it mainly started out as in a Linux tool chain. So get, originally, just like Docker, it was originally a Linux tool chain. And I usually tell people that containers are really a Linux thing. I know there's Windows containers out there, but for the 99% of all containers in the world, 99.9 are all Linux-based containers. In order to run a Linux container, you need to have a Linux kernel. So when Podman started moving into the Mac and Windows world, we had to originally support running a Linux kernel somehow. And the way you run a Linux kernel is you have to have a Linux VM. And so Brent created what's called Podman Machine, and I'll let Brent explain what Podman Machine is. And so we were kind of looking for an explanation of why do you use that? When do you use it? 
for Mac and Windows. I guess for Linux too. The primary reason that you would use it is if you're on a non-Linux platform and you need Podman and the concept of containers as we generally know them are Linux containers. Of course, there are Windows containers as well. But at that time, we're talking strictly Linux containers and you need a Linux OS to be able to run on that. So in the case of, let's say, Mac OS, we needed to figure out a way that you could run the Podman client on Mac OS, but it would be interacting with a Podman service running it on Linux VM. And the architecture of what that looked like was pretty obvious and pretty well set from the get-go. The one thing that we like is that we use Fedora Core OS in our machines. And we get some benefits from that in terms of how things get updated and how things are put together, as well as a tight, secure operating system too. Today, machine has grown. Initially it was QMU for Linux and for Mac. And today, like literally today, it's, we've had WSL in for a while now for Windows and Hyper-V just went in this week and that the last one we'll work on again now is the native Apple hypervisor for the silicon, Apple silicon. So is machine installed with Podman? Is it a separate install? How does, how do I get machine? It is part of Podman and the user experience that Dan and I really wanted was that you just simply issued a command to, to set up the machine, which includes pulling down the machine OS. So we don't ship a huge binary or have anything along those lines. It's simply run Podman machine, it pulls down, uh, initializes a VM and brings it up and you're ready to rock and roll. Nice. So for, you said for Hyper-V, does that mean Hyper-V, I'm on Windows desktop and I can use machine to provision a Hyper-V VM if I have Hyper-V installed? Is that what that's doing? Okay. That's right. And if... Eventually, we'll have an installer. We have an installer today that's for WSL. Eventually, what we'll do is we'll likely look at which virtualization you may have installed and just sort of suggest that that's the way you go. And if you have neither, then then they get to choose. Right. Guide them to the best choice for how they're set up. Yeah. Yeah, we have a lot of WSL2 content. We talk about it a lot just because it is like the best thing on Windows. (laughs) The best thing on Windows. It it really is. (laughs) It presents us as a third party, some challenges. However, in the sense that it has to run a Microsoft-based kernel and we want to use Fedora Core OS. So in actuality, our implementation of a Podman machine for WSL is actually a specially formulated Fedora that someone on the team put together. Nice. So we had so we've had some pushback from customers though that aren't allowed to use WSL for government or the company rules or whatever. So yeah. that's one of the reasons we moved to Hyper-V is to help those customers out. Well, I shouldn't say move to, but add it as that's a right. support Hyper-V. Similarly, we're having issues on Mac that we'll end up with supporting both QMU and native hypervisor support on Mac just as we evolve through it. But everything we talked about so far has been sort of at the command line, even pardon me, machine. So on a Mac, you just do a brew install Podman, and then you do Podman machine init, and then you can start running Podman commands if we wanted to make it that simple. There are native installers, but a different 
group, different projects started up called Podman Desktop, which was really to implement a full GUI around all of these tools. Brent and I mainly concentrate at the low level of the operating system and other people have been concentrating on the, the GUI. I think Brent's planning on doing a quick demo of some of the GUI capabilities that are in Podman Desktop at this point. Yeah. I should first mention, Dan's got a book. I want to make sure we, we get that out there. Podman in Action. And it's from Manning. So, and this is, uh, this is fairly recent. This is like, you're just coming off the... First off, the press kind of scenario, December 20, 2022. So congratulations on that. Thank you. A lot of people don't know that Podman Desktop happened. So well, I'd like to actually oh, step ahead. back. I mean, if you just go to Podman.io and see, it's not obvious where there's, I guess there's a Podman executable and then there's a, is there a separate executable for Podman machine? And what are the things that I'm working? It's all just Podman. Okay. Yeah, we did that intentionally, at least with Podman and Podman machine. So if you want to run a Podman machine, and again, we're not talking about the desktop yet, we're just talking about being a CLI environment, you would issue a command, something like Podman machine init, mm -hmm. and it figures out the rest from there. Right. So, so there's just... a Podman machine start, stop, okay. destroy, these kinds of things. But Podman Desktop is a separate install. Now, when you install Podman Desktop on a Mac, Windows, or even on Linux, you'll get, it'll pull in Podman. So mm -hmm. it's working with the Podman service for running at it. Running Podman natively on Linux does works as a standard fork and exact model, but we do support remote connections. Originally, we put in support for basically a remote API in order to support so the Docker built up this infrastructure of Docker PY programs, Docker Compose, and other ways of talking to the Docker daemon. So we had to create a, originally Podman had just ran command line tools, and eventually we had to build a way of running the Podman service, which is basically an API to talk to Podman and then running a service, and it would launch containers. We have two API endpoints. One is what we call compatibility mode, which supports the entire Docker API. And then we also have what we call libpod, which is the, basically is the Podman API. So you can do everything you can do with the Docker daemon via Podman as a service. So you can run Compose and you can run Docker PY scripts or any other tooling that you might have that needs, expects to have a Docker endpoint, Docker daemon endpoint, and then for advanced features of Podman, like supporting pods and some of the other advanced features that we might be covering today, you, you can talk to the Podman API to launch those remotely. And that's what we're using on a Mac or a Windows box. We're using those APIs to talk to it. And then Podman Desktop also uses those APIs to talk to Podman running inside of the machines. It's also worth mentioning that Podman is actually short for Pod Manager. Yes. That's, that's something we always have to clarify. <laughs> Did I? I'm not sure if I ever thought it would. Yeah, right. The logo isn't a man, so it doesn't make a lot of sense. So one of the questions was mentioning Podman Compose. We should talk about that for a quick second. It wasn't on the agenda, but what is Podman Compose? And is I don't even know if that's a Red Hat project or if it's a, yeah. a part of the same community. I'll walk you through it. It's a question we get a lot because there is some community confusion out there on it. So Podman Compose is not a Red Hat project. But we do share our GitHub organizational space, the containers org with them. And they're a tool that 
was designed to shell out to Podman and interpret a, a Docker Compose YAML file. So that's sort of their road. So that we've got that, and then we've got Docker Compose, which most people just call Compose. And that is a, a Docker application that's meant to semi-orchestrate or orchestrate a small workload up using a structured YAML file. And then Podman itself has a third alternative where we actually use Kubernetes YAML and we can produce the Kubernetes YAML straight from Podman and we can then consume it with Podman to replace something. But of course, the advantage there is that you can take your YAML that you've worked out in Podman and take it to Kubernetes. So those are sort of the three layers and the two composers frequently get tied around each other. Not to mention that you can use Docker Compose with Podman. Is that because you're using Docker Compose, you're just pointing to the API? Is that how that? Yeah, okay. That's right, you just point to the socket. When Dan was explaining the sockets, most of the time the sockets for, or the services for Podman are off. And it's a, so a system B socket activated surface. So the first person that tries to hit that socket, the service will start itself up and then begin responding. Oh, nice. And it also has a timeout. So after five minutes, it'll shut itself off. One of the things what we're designing, we, we had the ability to watch the way Docker was designed or to work. Actually, I worked as a contributor to Docker for many years. We wanted to make sure that we didn't require Podman to always be running when you're running your containers. We wanted it to be as lightweight as possible on resources so that you don't have to ha always have it running. You don't have to have demons running on your system all the time. So we really wanted to optimize for Podman going away. So if you're running two containers on an edge device, you don't have to have a, a huge Go program sitting around there all the time just in case a user wants to do some activity. So we really wanted to optimize for the least smallest footprint possible when we were designing Podman. And I always like to explain the difference between Docker and Podman was the groups that originally designed them. When Docker was designed, it was designed by web-based. So Docker IO web designers came in and they designed a REST, RESTful API, which was great, but it was client-server based. So it really sort of focused sort of on the, the web background of the developers of it. Whereas Podman was developed by people like me who were OS developers and you know, we grew up on fork exec model. So when you're running a container, to me, I always thought the container should be a child of the command I used to launch the container. And by building Podman in the way we did, it allows it to fully integrate really well into things like system D and into sort of the workflow and controls for C groups and, and take advantage of things like what Brown was just talking about socket activation and all this tooling because it's all those tools expect children to be, you know, in, inherit from their parent process. Whereas a client server, which is what Docker did, was different. And that led us to really easily do things like rootless mode, where we could start to take advantage of use the namespace and run it loop containers in the environment. So anyways, that's a little bit of the difference in the design of the two tools. But we had to do some kind of service for handling of this remote API. Yeah. In fact, that's kind of it's a subtle under the hoods thing, right? Like you don't, you can get away with using Podman, just like you may not understand with Docker that there's a client engine and that the engine is running as a service account essentially. And that all of that 
runs as a subprocess, and that, that's all. Unless you get really nerdy into Linux, like that, you can just never know any of that. And the same with Podman, where if you're not a System D person, you know we've got some gray hairs on on here a little bit. We we all we're all from the days of System D is the thing. You know, I used to store my System D configs in GitHub because we would often distribute things as System D packages when we were doing custom software. And yeah, it those days are that, was, that wasn't that long ago. That's a common question too, is people trying to figure out their tool chain, trying to figure out how they approach a lot of this stuff. And I love your explanation because a lot of times it's not so much about, well, today this one has a feature that the other one doesn't, although we love to get into feature comparisons. And I'm sure we've already had questions about that, but I'm always as, as much interested in the approach different systems are taking. I mean, we've all seen a thousand different front end web frameworks that we all are comparing. And the same is true on the back end as we always need that the different conceptual ways to make this tooling work. So we've got Podman Machine to help us on, I guess, non-Linux host OSs. We've got Compose to help us orchestrate in various multiple ways. And I didn't know that there was all these different ways for Compose because I'm a huge Compose fan. So you'll hear me on this show just in general, the idea of a local orchestrator that is simplistic enough for my system to handle and complex enough for my development needs, because I didn't jump on that Kubernetes as a dev platform very quickly. Like It took me a long time to be convinced that anyone ever needed that. <laughs> but we've got this other tool. We've got several other tools out there that I feel like we got, before we take into all the different deep questions that people have, we've got this thing that people don't know about, which is Podman Desktop, which I love just because I feel like it bridges that gap from someone who maybe lives in the shell. And I honestly, I think in the last 10 years, we have seen more and more dev tooling in more and more hands that is a GUI app by default. And those of us that come from this diehard, like I used to live in Vim, never left the shell. Just the only thing I wanted was a browser and a shell on my machine. But I too find that like in 2023, I've got so many different GUIs so they're all electron apps at this point. But tell me a little bit about where does Podman Desktop come in? Like, why do I want to go to that next level and not just install Podman, but also this GUI for it? I think you hit it on the head. Some of it's going to be attraction to certain users and their workflows. If you're a CLI junkie, you're probably going to stay a CLI junkie. I don't know. <laughs> um, but if you're already using your browser or GUI tools, it makes sense to do this. And I think Dan and I... Dan and I were the first lobby to get this project off the ground. We just could not figure out a way that our team could do it. We already had enough on our plate, but also there's a skill set for putting nice, beautiful looking GUIs together. And there was quite a bit of work on usability and how it's being ingested and used and what users want and a lot of interviewing of people. If Dan and I put it together, it wouldn't look so hot. It would. It would be pretty grotesque. But when we started talking about this desktop, at least for Dan and I, when we had kind of private conversations about this, I think it would be fair to say that we always sort of saw the desktop being a tool that could simplify some tasks that are still kind of difficult with the CLI. So sort of take some of the knowledge required out of it, but also to be able to put various things together that just don't make sense in a CLI. Examples for that might be using Docker Compose, which the desktop does. It does a fantastic job of setting that up for folks automatically and being able to take a Docker Compose file and push it against the Podman service. 
having a little discussion here about the fact that like we now have these multiple GUI tool options. In fact, back when Docker changed their licensing so that enterprises needed to pay for it, I have a lot of students that come out of my courses and a lo- some of those came out and were like, well, I can't now run Docker Desktop because of licensing, my company won't pay for it. So I ended up creating a spreadsheet that we're trying to maintain. In fact, I'll probably ping you after the call to see if you guys can just look at it, make sure it's still up to date, because I did not do a thorough Podman. There's We got Lima, we've got all these different ways, and basically, how do I run containers on my local system? Assuming that you're probably Windows or Mac. And there's now a dozen different options, everything from Vagrant and a VM, obviously, to now we've got three plus different GUI tools that we can all choose from. And when I first downloaded Podman Desktop, I I could not understand how it was able to run Docker extensions for a minute because I was like, wait, how is this pulling in Docker extensions? But that's a really interesting t- tactic. I love that because it's all open source already. And these are really just images running on your local system to give you a nice little built-in GUI and stuff. So, so the Docker extensions just work? Docker extensions just work here as well? That's great. Yeah. yeah. Podman desktop will actually work against a Docker daemon. So if you had, it'll work against Lemur, it'll work against Podman machine. So there are multiple different, matter of fact, people are talking about Rancher desktop. So the Podman desktop, even though it's, you know, has the Podman name and it is actually, again, fully open so that if people want to add extensions to support other platforms that implement either the Podman uh, API or the Docker API, then Podman will work. Podman Desktop will work against those. Saying, I mean, one of the key things earlier, Brent was asked about Podman Compose, and our goal with all this stuff was to be fully open source. One of the things that Docker did a few years ago is they started to close down some of their environment to, to move away a little bit away from fully open sourcing their software, and so we wanted to make sure that everything was fully open and that. So all of GitHub containers, which is where Podman lives, is anybody that wants to open up something related to containers on that repo, we're pretty lenient about allowing them to come in and including people that in some ways, you know, like Podman Compose, you know, they're looking at new ways of doing stuff. And that's what we want. We want experimentation. We want to open this up to new ways of doing it. You talked earlier about how much you love Docker Compose. One of the problems I had with Docker Compose wasn't so much about the language, just as Docker Compose is a way of defining more advanced applications running inside of containers. But then Kubernetes come along and Kubernetes became this giant way of running containers, but it didn't use Compose's language, it used its own language, Kubernetes YAML. So one of the things we wanted to do with Podman was actually to support, natively support Kubernetes YAML. So you can do a Podman kube play and take a Kubernetes YAML file and run your those containers locally. So you don't need to have Kubernetes on the host system. We also have Podman Kube Generate, which will take your locally running containers and pods and will automatically generate your Kubernetes YAML file. And then you can take that, actually, there's now a Podman Kube deploy and take your locally running containers and deploy them directly into Kubernetes. So our idea was to allow people to move sort of from the traditional host-based system running containers out to Kubernetes or even back. I actually now work in RHEL Automotive and we're talking to the car vendors and people looking at running applications, containers inside of automobiles. And what we're telling them is that to base everything on Kubernetes and then you can run them locally and run them in the cloud and your CI/CD systems all using the same language for multi-advanced 
applications using it. So I push a lot towards Kubernetes as being it because if you're going to have to learn Kubernetes, you might as well be able to run your Kubernetes workloads locally as well as in the cloud. So Podman's Kube support is tremendous for allowing it to run both locally, as I said, locally and remotely. And those are new features that we add to Podman as people come up with new ideas. As I hear these features, I'm like, how am I not using this already? Why am I not using this already? Yeah. Why are you not using this already? Yeah. (laughs) The Kubernetes stuff has been around since Podman Mm 3-ish, but it's, but we kind of slid it out there. Like, we think this is a really good idea. Yeah. And at that time we, we could generate the kube from something that was running and then we could digest it and rerun something. And we kind of slipped it out there and showed people. And there was an initial set of adopters that helped push us to add more and more function because initially we just supported a core, get your container up running, port mapping and things like this. And this largely been community driven from there on out, either by contributing code or by asking us, could you support a a deployment, for example, rather than just a service. Talking about the fact that Podman can speak Kubernetes, essentially, it can speak Kubernetes YAML. I do appreciate that. And I think that we've got this, I think there's a general challenge in the industry, especially as I'm watching people learn. And I, I spend a lot of time with teams that are adopting containers. I'm sure that both of you have done some of that work, but there's this definitely this rough patch where they go from local experience maybe to production and they have to bridge that gap of developers that reluctantly don't want to learn Kubernetes, understandably, and they don't certainly don't want to have to learn all of the YAML and they really just want to speak like their app terminology rather than Kubernetes terminology. And then the operators who have to operate it. And sometimes that's the same person, right? I do. We do have solo DevOps, as I call it, a lot here. And sometimes we have operators who don't want to and they want to know a little, as little about the app as possible and really just want to speak Kubernetes cluster stuff all day long. So I appreciate tools that whenever there's a tool that like this that tries to bridge that gap, help a developer that you're already using local tools and those local tools spit out, I guess we could call it conformant YAML. That's always a good thing, I think. Yeah. Something I've been trying to get Docker to do for years. But <laughs> Deploy to Kubernetes. Why can't I do Docker run Kubernetes? Yes, this Kubernetes thing is, has been really a, a defining kind of feather in Podman's cap, if you will, in terms of how the development process can be changed. And that's really what, as Dan stated, that's what we were after. The ability to be able to do development sort of locally and then pitch it out there on onto uh, Kubernetes somewhere and test whether or not that worked there and then go back and forth. We've got a couple of questions real quick on Podman desktop. Is there in the works, a plan for like a 1.0 release? Yes. Is that coming anytime soon? Soon. soon? Yep. It'll be out before Summit. Imagine that. <laughs> There's this big event called Redhead Summit that happens every year, and there might be something announced at that point. Nice. We did have some questions about Podman. There is, it seems like there's a, an install for Podman in a restricted environment. I guess that someone was saying there's an MSI downloadable install that basically, for those of you that live in enterprise and have enterprise software distribution systems. I used to be one of those people that had to maintain those things that you kind of want to put the MSI all into place. I guess that's called the restricted environment install or something. Yeah. I mean, we have support for all that right now. So Red Hat itself doesn't have 
formal packaging for this, so it's all in the upstream open source. That might or may not happen in the future that there's fully supported, but we understand those environments, so we've set up the in installation procedures and things like that so that they can be moved inside of the firewall so that you can easily install them locally. One of the things that we began disagreeing with Docker in the beginning was about Docker wanted to hide code. Docker IO is the only way to get what we call, or now world we call them short names. And then if you wanted to get an image from a non-Docker IO site, you'd have to type in the fully expanded container registry name. And we wanted to allow users to, to basically specify whatever registries you wanted to pull images from. And so we started working on what we call a containers image, which is a library for pulling and pushing images around the internet. And we have full mirror support and all sorts of really cool features for users who need to live behind firewalls where they don't have access to the internet. So that you can still refer to an image that comes from Docker.io as Docker.io, but we will, we can reroute you to a internal registry to pull those images from and things like that. So we fully support disconnected environments from the internet. So I want to talk about something else that, uh, so one of the fundamental differences or enhancements that we wanted to make with Podman was to support system D based workloads. Again, since Podman doesn't really have a service that runs all the time, we needed to support the ability to run containers at boot time. So how do you start a container at boot time? And originally Podman developed, so people, we knew people were going to start putting Podmans into systemd unit files to allow systemd to start containers at boot time. And obviously you could always do that with Docker as well, but when you put the Docker client into a systemd unit file, it would always basically have to connect to the Docker daemon. And then you, if you set up C group constraints and things like that, system D constraints on the on the container, it wouldn't have effect because it would be coming under the Docker daemon. So we wanted to fully integrate into system D. So Podman really embraces system D and either you can run containers with system D inside of the container, but we also, because it's, again, the fork exec model, we can run underneath it. So we originally generated, similar to Podman kube generate, we Generate, we had a command podman generate systemd, which would generate a systemd unit file based on, say, the locally running containers on your system. So, to help users get over the hump, like you were talking about, over the hump of running a Kubernetes, how to right. get them, hump them. What's the best practices of running a container underneath the systemd unit file? But it turned out that we had that and a lot of people embraced it and used it, but there was problems with it in that we would give you this really ugly looking unit file, which would have a massive podman command in it and a lot of fields that you don't understand. And then people would start editing those files and making mistakes and things like that. And so one of the fellow engineers inside of Red Hat saw this and he decided to, to build a new tool called, and he called it Quadlet. And to give you, to help you remember what Quadlet is, think about if you had a kubelet and you flattened it. So if you take Kubernetes and you flattened it down to a quad, right? So a kube versus a quad, that's where the name comes from. And what Quadlet did is use a system, what's called a systemd generator. And the bottom line is you can specify in a systemd file some simple objects to, to run a container underneath it. So Quadlet looks a lot like a syst standard systemd unit file. But it's really, really simple in that we add a new section called a container to the systemd definition. So the beauty of this is if you set a whole bunch of systemd flags about the different C group constraints and things like that, then the 
This will generate a Podman command underneath, underneath the covers, and this becomes a standard service on there. So you end up generating this fairly complex command line to show what it's running on the system. And the real nice thing is as we continue to develop Podman or continue to develop our integration with SystemD and add advances, that quadlet can get more and more powerful as it goes along, and we can actually change the way we generate tools. So lots and lots of people now are using quadlets for running services in their environment. And it's become very, very popular. This is a very recent release. This started with Podman 4.4, which has been out for a little while. And Podman 4.5 just came out this past week. So this is a very recent advance in Podman. Basically, you can put that little tiny quadlet file into Etsy containers, systemd, and systemd will just start generating services based on that. So there's a more advanced blog that shows its integration with system with Kubernetes. So imagine that you are running, say, edge devices and you define complex applications inside of Kubernetes YAML files. You can start to run simple quadlets where the quadlet just points to this Kubernetes YAML file and then fully runs it underneath systemd workloads. And again, you can do all of the systemd stuff, wrapping it around that process start the service via system control commands, stop it via system control commands. We even support fully optimized updates so that you can run these applications in an environment. In this case, he showed he's showing complex stuff like setting up networking and volumes and things like that. But you can actually, we support a automatic update so that imagine you're running your containers, say on an edge device where you're running thousands of containers, saying container image on a thousand machines. Now you you update your image with say security fixes or just new features. You push it out to a container registry and all thousand edge devices wake up. They see that there's a new image out there and they will trigger a Podman pull to pull down the new image and then they recreate the container based on the new image. So now you instantly update a thousand nodes without any human intervention other than you pushing to a container registry. Another feature that we have is rollback so that we'll run, we can run health checks on that image. So if once you upgrade the image, if the, something goes wrong and a health check fails, Podman will automatically roll back to the previously run container in the environment. And this is all based on fairly simple quadlets. And, and really, it shows the power of being able to fully integrate into system V in the environment. So that when, you know, we're looking at Podman not only as a gateway to running cloud infrastructure, but also as edge devices and then pushing it into the desktop. So we really want to look at running containers and all these different mechanisms out there. Yeah. Thank you. That actually sounds really useful. I put those links, by the way, those are the links for the blogs. And then we've also got the Podman blog, and this will be resources in the audio if you're listening to this as a podcast. There's a lot of tooling here. How do people get started? Should they start with Podman Desktop as they're brand new to all this and they're on Windows and Linux? Like, is that a easier way to get Podman? Uh, it should be mentioned, right, that you can Podman Desktop supports like multiple engines and multiple it, command lines. It does, and I think if you're on a Mac or on Windows and you're not a overly CLI based person, then I think Podman Desktop is exactly where you should start because it will also prepare the environment, so you'll get. You'll get Docker Compose will come with that. It'll bring in Podman and just kind of walk you through it and make it really easy. There were right. some questions about Podman and Docker working at the same time. For the desktop? And yeah, I'm not sure yeah. if the... I, 
it could have been desktop or it could have been the machine and yeah i believe mo answered that one but okay. what the i believe the question was can docker desktop can docker and podman and podman desktop all kind of run in the same rate run on the same system and there's a compatibility setting that tells you do you want podman desktop to look at the docker socket like a compatibility mode or not. And so you just got to make sure that's set correctly and that will be no collision. Yeah. So they're totally different databases, they're totally different data storage. So we don't use Docker daemon storage, although you can actually, with Podman, you can pull images directly out of your Docker daemon. So we actually have a Docker daemon, we call them transports. So you can actually pull images directly out, but we have totally isolated Docker from Podman. So they, yeah, they're fully fully can run them together on Linux systems and you can run them fully on them. Podman has support for fully mimicking. So if you're running, if you want to talk Docker protocol to the Podman socket, you can set the Docker host environmental variable to point to Docker socket. If you want to run in full emulation mode, then Podman will attempt to listen at the Docker socket. So at run docker.soc, and then obviously we would conflict with Podman at that point. On a Linux box, there is a package called Podman Docker that actually set up symbolic links and man page links and everything else so that if you actually want to type in the letters D-O-C-K-E-R all day long, we can run Podman commands that's fully supported as well. So depending on how embedded into your fingers typing Docker versus Podman. And again, on we've taken, when we started Podman six years ago, we realized that everybody understands how to do this on Docker or at least Google understands how to do it on Docker. So <laughs> someone's going to say, how do I do this with a container? And they're going to get a Docker command line. And we only want you to have to change the letters to D-O-C-K-E-R to P-O-D-M-A-N. Yeah. Anything that breaks between the two, I should say almost anything that breaks between the two, we consider a bug. So once in a while, I say that's a bug in Docker and that we don't fix it. But for the most part, we fix any incompatibilities between the two command lines or the two APIs to make sure that we're as as compliant as possible with the Docker CLI and the Docker API. Yeah, the you two would love the conversations that we have had where there's a bug in Docker that folks have gotten to depend on. <laughs> and then when we don't behave that way, they say it's a bug and we say, well, so we have this joke about being bug for bug compatible. Right. How far down the emulation rabbit hole do you want to go? <laughs> do you want to emulate, emulate quirks, side effects, and bugs? Yeah. Did, I was going to guess, by the way, that if someone asked me, and I didn't know anything about Podman Desktop, which I know very little, I've used it as a user, but I definitely don't know the internals of how it's building. But I would assume that it was really the Docker socket that's probably the most likely contender for any compatibility or any sort of stepping on each other's toes other than just the fact that like if you're trying to type the docker command and you have the c it's actually pointing to the cli rather than the podman alias but i did notice i just want to mention i did notice like in the latest absolute latest release of docker desktop they now have an option to not have the docker.soc default location on mac and i'm assuming also on others which maybe just to me means that they're still using a socket but maybe it's just not this it's maybe a randomized one or it's put in temp or something so yeah. maybe uh, i'm hoping that the days of us needing to shut down one container runtime in order to run another container runtime. I mean, ideally I'd like to be able to run all of them all at once. And on a, especially like on Mac or Linux when it's all individual VMs and 
you know, there's all this other layers of abstraction already, so why not just let it all work together? So I'm hoping that helps as well. Sorry, Dan, you were going to say something. I was just going to say that we're not, we want to see Docker survive. We want to see other container engines, Rancher, and I, we want to get to a healthy yeah. open source infrastructure where we all see, oh, they're doing that. That's an interesting thing to do. Let's mimic that or for them to see stuff that we're doing and say, let's mimic that. And so that's the way open source develop, right? We have multiple file systems. We have multiple web browsers. We have multiple different tools for doing very similar functionality. And so for a lot of ways, that's, you know, this is the open source way, which, you know, and hopefully we see new and greater innovation in the Podman world. We're looking at Kubernetes integration. We're looking at, you know, Quadlet, how we work on the system D, how we work on the edge how we improve security, things like that. And, you know, so that that's, again, this is a vibrant open source world. And that's really what we're after. Yeah. But there's, there's also an element that there's not only this sort of feature rich competition and sharing going on, but there are core problems with containers still that are holding containers back from making the next step. And it's not going to be Podman on its own that makes that change. It's going to have to be several of the groups, the runtimes, the standards, going to have to make some agreements in order to get over them. The one that Dan and I frequently speak about is how we should really be handling multi-arch container images, things like this. Yeah. I know for my students, a lot of times it's permissions and when you bind mount or I know they, especially people that are coming from a non-Linux background, I just spoke with someone the other day that's a consultant that was struggling with, multi, you know, bind mounting from Windows into Linux. Like there's still definitely some rough edges. I and mean, we talk about those a lot, especially in the open source, the people that are at KubeCon, right? Like the people that are driving a lot of this tech, especially those of us that are constantly helping people adopt, it's get reminded of the rough edges as I call them, whenever you're seeing someone who hasn't looked at this for 10 years and they're just now coming to it and they're wanting to know why all this is so complicated, especially if you're coming from a development point of view. Well, I'm actually, this is a, a archetype that I am have recently just started thinking more about is that we're having people come in. This happened at a conference a couple of months ago. People were at the conference learning about Kubernetes. They did not know Docker. They knew Kubernetes first and they came at it because they're a developer or an operator or somebody, and someone said, hey, manage our Kubernetes, or you've got to deploy to Kubernetes your app or whatever, they skip over entirely the idea of like what a container is, what is a registry, what is an image. And they have to come in retroactively, which is a, you know, I didn't build that course, right? I didn't build the course. It was like, you know, Kubernetes, mm -hmm. now let's learn how that how it all works. And right. these people are also realizing that it's a fundamental assumption. It's kind of like going to be a developer and distributed computing developer that's running all your apps on Linux and you don't understand Linux, right? Or you don't even know TCP IP or whatever. It, it's one of these challenges I think we have in the industry is we, all of us who have been around since the dawn of a lot of this stuff, we, we fail to help the new kids essentially just learn this stuff from the bottom up, like we all learned, but they're actually learning it from the top down. So anyway, just a thought out there that, yeah, like Podman well, might be someone's first experience with a container. They have no idea what, you know, or Kubernetes might be their first experience with a container. And we don't, we all make a lot of assumptions like that they they knew Docker before Podman or they may, they knew Docker before Kubernetes or whatever. So. Yep. If we had a nickel for every time that we uttered the phrase, you want to do what? With a container? <laughs> container, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I would, I would no longer have to do these 
interviews and work for a living. We could retire simply on that. Well, we're going to wrap it up. So I, I want to throw in a couple of last minute questions. What's the best way to get overlay networks up with Podman, assuming I don't want Kubernetes? That's a fairly technical question right there. I thought we'd throw in a, a hard one for a second. What's an overlay network? Yeah, like a, not virtual IP, encapsulated networking between two nodes. Yeah, I guess is like, how do I get multiple nodes? I guess is what, or multiple containers. How do multiple containers on Podman and... We always try not to go into the Kubernetes world mm -hmm. and we try to avoid that if at all possible. It's enough that we compete against Docker. We don't want to stop competing against Kubernetes. So we don't try and we don't go to cross node. So what we would tell them is you have to use a different tool to set up your virtual private network and then Podman can join that network. So you would use Podman to join a established network. Podman fully supports that. I believe the same answer would be for Docker. We fully support joining existing, basically, net network namespaces. So you would set up a network namespace between the two nodes with full virtualization going between them and then two of them connect them that way. I think, uh, go ahead, Brent, do you have a different answer? Or, uh, I wouldn't use that Google thing for overlay network. And it might, in addition to what Dan is saying, it might be worth advertising that with Podman 4.5, we now allow users to write network plugins for our network stack. So we've opened that up and theoretically someone could write a plugin for that. And Wireshark was also recently added to our network start, to our network setup as well. I think we're gonna be moving that to a plugin, but right now it's part of it. And those components are, our networking stack is called Netavark, and then the DNS complementary thing is called Ardvark DNS. All right. So mentioning a vibrant ecosystem, we're still fans of Swarm on this show, Docker Swarm specifically, just because we don't, I've never been a fan of one orchestrator or one of anything. Like there's, that's not a healthy ecosystem. You don't get to put out a bunch of ideas and let the best idea win kind of thing. And so that's been my challenge with Kubernetes is trying to keep the hope alive for Swarm Nomad and some of these other ideas for how we might run multi-host runtimes essentially. And this is- yeah. Sadly or happily, we don't support there is no Podman Swarm and there is no right. Docker Swarm inside of Podman. Again, yeah. we focus more on Kubernetes, but if someone had an orchestrator and they used Podman underneath it, we would welcome the we would welcome that as a project on top of Podman. There is a project that has been kicked off again for the automotive where Kubernetes doesn't really work. You don't want Kubernetes running inside of your car. And it's called Herte. So if you go to containers slash H-I-R-T-E, Herte. And what that is all about is actually taking our integration with System D and ex extending that on multi-nodes. But again, the networking would have to be handled by some other layer. But the basic idea would be if you designed a whole bunch of containers to start as system services, uh, Herte would really re relay them uh, between the System Ds on each one of the nodes. So it's, and again, this is, in my new role working in automotive, think, think of I put the car into reverse and all of a sudden a whole bunch of containers start and a whole bunch stop on multiple different nodes. You need to basically reflect the fact that you put the car into reverse to the different nodes. And that, those all get, end up being signals to system D to change its run levels. Now you put the car into drive and basically I'll send a message to all the system D saying, all right, move out of run level back up to run level drive, and it'll start a bunch of services, stop a bunch of services. But it, it's an open source project to 
do that type of relaying. And it's basically a system D orchestrate. I don't want, we don't want to call it an orchestrator because we don't want to be considered a competitor against OpenShift. Right, right? overloaded yeah. term, right, yeah. yeah. Basically, it's a way of for an automobile for reflecting changes in state across multiple nodes. So it's kind of a cool technology. I am at, uh, at KubeCon right now, and well, not right now, but today and tomorrow. And our booth at Infra, where we look at the Mercedes-Benz car, they've got the EQS there. And one of my colleagues went over there and said, so is it running Kubernetes? And I said, well, actually it is. So apparently at least this one EQS yeah, is I, sitting on the what floor. What I should say is, so yeah, I, I'm hijacking this thing. And, <laughs> so in the car, there's, a, there's part of the car that's actually doing the driving is called functional safety. And in mm. a functional safe environment, you don't want applications that you can't guarantee they're functionally safe like Kubernetes or yeah. even Podman for that matter. And so what you need in the car, there can be a section called quality management, which is not in the functional, basically nothing to do with the safety of the car. So your infotainment system, things like that. Okay. People, when they talk about Kubernetes in the car, they're talking about the ability to communicate with Kubernetes in the cloud and potentially do that type of thing. But what I'm talking about is exactly what I, you know, when you put the car in drive, yeah, you don't yeah. want the car to eventually get into a safe state. You want it <laughs> into a safe state. So there is a blog out there we yeah. talked about why you don't want to run Kubernetes in a car. But so, yeah, eventual is not good in a safety environment. The one way to ensure that something will be done is to tell everybody they shouldn't do it. <laughs> Probably. Well, that's why we're trying to give them reason. It's like, okay, this might make more sense than eventually all your, eventually your brakes will apply type of thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to leave it there. So let's talk about Podman in action real quick again. So I'm thinking of you, Dan. So if you want to learn more, obviously there's the websites, there is GitHub, there's there's the Googles, or if you like print material or a digital copy of Podman in action, you can get that over on Manning. That way, Dan, in, you know, you're, you're essentially supporting Dan's hobbies. Like That's right. all these container tools that they're maintaining on GitHub. So thank you so much, gentlemen, for being here. I've learned a lot today, actually. Now I have like a, a long to-do list of things, trying out Quadlet and some of these other new tools. So like you heard earlier, everyone, if you haven't tried Podman, if you're a CLI person, your favorite installer probably already has Podman available to you. And if you want Podman desktop for the GUI, that's all on the internet. So we thank you both for being here, Dan, Brent, Matt, again, as always, a thank you as a host. Thank you, everyone. See you next awesome. week. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode.